This is Chapter Twenty Two of A Tramp Abroad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Tramp Abroad by Mark Twain. Chapter Twenty Two The Black Forest and Its Treasures. From Baden Baden we made the customary trip into the Black Forest. We were on foot most of the time. One cannot describe those noble woods, nor the feeling with which they inspire him. A feature of the feeling, however, is a deep sense of contentment. Another feature of it is a buoyant, boyish gladness. And a third and very conspicuous feature of it is one's sense of the remoteness of the workday world, and his entire emancipation from it, and its affairs. Those woods stretch unbroken over a vast region, and everywhere they are such dense woods, and so still, and so piney and fragrant. The stems of the trees are trim and straight, and in many places all the ground is hidden for miles, under a thick cushion of moss of a vivid green color, with not a decayed or ragged spot in its surface, and not a fallen leaf or twig to mar its immaculate tidiness. A rich cathedral gloom pervades the pillared aisles. So the stray flecks of sunlight that strike a trunk here and a bough yonder are strongly accented, and when they strike the moss they fairly seem to burn. But the weirdest effect, and the most enchanting, is that produced by the diffused light of the low afternoon sun. No single ray is able to pierce its way in then, but the diffused light takes color from moss and foliage, and pervades the place like a faint green-tinted mist, the theatrical fire of fairyland, the suggestion of mystery and the supernatural which haunts the forest at all times, is intensified by this unearthly glow. We found the Black Forest farmhouses and villages all that the Black Forest stories have pictured them. The first genuine specimen which we came upon was the mansion of a rich farmer and member of the common council of the parish or district. He was an important personage in the land, and so was his wife also, of course. His daughter was the catch of the region, and she may be already entering into immortality as the heroine of one of Orbach's novels, for all I know. We shall see, for if he puts her in, I shall recognize her by her black forest clothes, and her burned complexion, her plump figure, her fat hands, her dull expression, her gentle spirit, her generous feet her bonnetless head, and the plaited tails of hemp-colored hair hanging down her back. The house was big enough for a hotel. It was a hundred feet long and fifty wide, and ten feet high, from ground to eaves. But from the eaves to the comb of the mighty roof was as much as forty feet, or maybe even more. This roof was of ancient mud-colored straw thatch, a foot thick, and was covered all over, except in a few trifling spots, with a thriving and a luxurious growth of green vegetation, mainly moss. The mossless spots were places where repairs had been made by the insertion of bright new masses of yellow straw. The eaves projected far down, like sheltering hospitable wings. Across the gable that fronted the road, and about ten feet above the ground, ran a narrow porch with a wooden railing. A row of small windows filled with very small panes looked upon the porch. Above were two or three other little windows, one clear up under the sharp apex of the roof. Before the ground-floor door was a huge pile of manure. 
the door of the second-story room on the side of the house was open and occupied by the rear elevation of a cow was this probably the drawing-room all of the front half of the house from the ground up seemed to be occupied by the people the cows and the chickens and all the rear half by draught animals and hay but the chief feature all around this house was the big heaps of manure we became very familiar with the fertilizer in the forest we fell unconsciously into the habit of judging of a man's station in life by this outward and eloquent sign sometimes we said here is a poor devil this is manifest when we saw a stately accumulation we said here is a banker when we encountered a country seat surrounded by an alpine pomp of manure we said doubtless a duke lives here the importance of this feature has not been properly magnified in the black forest stories manure is evidently the black forester's main treasure his coin his jewel his pride his old master his ceramics his bric-a-brac his darling his title to public consideration envy veneration and his first solicitude when he gets ready to make his will the true black forest novel if it is ever written will be skeletoned somewhat in this way skeleton for a black forest novel rich old farmer named huss has inherited great wealth of manure and by diligence has added to it it is double-starred in baedeker note one when baedeker's guide-books mention a thing and put two stars after it it means well worth visiting mark twain end note one the black forest artist paints it his masterpiece the king comes to see it gretchen huss daughter and heiress paul hawk young neighbor suitor for gretchen's hand ostensibly he really wants the manure hawk has a good many cartloads of the black forest currency himself and therefore is a good catch but he is sordid mean and without sentiment whereas gretchen is all sentiment and poetry hans schmidt young neighbor full of sentiment full of poetry loves gretchen gretchen loves him but he has no manure old huss forbids him in the house his heart breaks he goes away to die in the woods far from the cruel world for he says bitterly what is man without manure interval of six months paul hawk comes to old huss and says i am at last as rich as you required come and view the pile old huss views it and says it is sufficient take her and be happy meaning gretchen interval of two weeks wedding party assembled in old huss's drawing-room hawk placid and content gretchen weeping over her hard fate enter old huss's head bookkeeper huss says fiercely i gave you three weeks to find out why your books don't balance and to prove that you are not a defaulter the time is up find me the missing property or you go to prison as a thief bookkeeper i have found it where bookkeeper sternly tragically in the bridegroom's pile behold the thief see him blench and tremble sensation paul hook lost lost falls over the cow in a swoon and is handcuffed gretchen saved falls over the calf in a swoon of joy but is caught in the arms of hans schmidt who springs in at that moment 
old Huss. "'What, you here, varlet? Unhand the maid and quit the place!' Hans, still supporting the insensible girl. "'Never, cruel old man, know that I come with claims which even you cannot despise.' Huss. "'What, you? Name them!' Hans. "'Listen, then. The world has forsaken me. I forsook the world. I wandered in the solitude of the forest, longing for death, but finding none. I fed upon roots, and in my bitterness I dug for the bitterest, loathing the sweeter kind. Digging, three days agone, I struck a manure mine, a golgonda, a limitless bonanza of solid manure. I can buy you all, and have mountain ranges of manure left. Ha! <laughs> now thou smilest a smile. Immense sensation. Exhibition of specimens from the mine. Old Huss enthusiastically. Wake her up! Shake her up! Noble young man, she is yours! Wedding takes place on the spot. Bookkeeper restored to his office and emoluments. Paul Hawk led off to jail. The Bonanza King of the Black Forest lives to a good old age, blessed with the love of his wife and of his twenty-seven children, and the still sweeter envy of everybody around. We took our noon meal of fried trout one day at the Plough Inn, in a very pretty village, Ottenhofen, and then went into the public room to rest and smoke. There we found nine or ten Black Forest grandees assembled around a table. They were the common council of the parish. They had gathered there at eight o'clock that morning to elect a new member, and they had now been drinking beer four hours at the new member's expense. They were men of fifty or sixty years of age, with grave, good-natured faces, and were all dressed in the costume made familiar to us by the Black Forest stories—broad, round-topped black felt hats with the brims curled up all around, long red waistcoats with large metal buttons, black alpaca coats with the waists up between the shoulders. There were no speeches, there was but little talk, there were no frivolities. The council filled themselves gradually, steadily, but surely with beer, and conducted themselves with sedate decorum as became men of position, men of influence, men of manure. We had a hot afternoon tramp up the valley, along the grassy bank of a rushing stream of clear water, past farmhouses, water-mills, and no end of wayside crucifixes and saints and virgins. These crucifixes, etc., are set up in memory of departed friends, by survivors, and are almost as frequent as telegraph-poles are in other lands. We followed the carriage-road, and had our usual luck. We travelled under a beating sun and always saw the shade leave the shady places before we could get to them. In all our wanderings we seldom managed to strike a piece of road at its time for being shady. We had a particularly hot time of it on that particular afternoon, and with no comfort but what we could get out of the fact that the peasants at work, away up on the steep mountainsides above our heads, were even worse off than we were. By and by it became impossible to endure the intolerable glare and heat any longer, so we struck across the ravine and entered the deep cool twilight of the forest, to hunt for what the guide-book called the old road. We found an old road, and it proved eventually to be the right one, though we followed it at the time with the conviction that it was the wrong one. If it was the wrong one, there could be no use in hurrying, therefore 
we did not hurry but sat down frequently on the soft moss and enjoyed the restful quiet and shade of the forest solitudes there had been distractions in the carriage road school children peasants wagons troops of pedestrianizing students from all over germany but we had the old road to ourselves now and then while we rested we watched the laborious ant at his work i found nothing new in him certainly nothing to change my opinion of him it seems to me that in the matter of intellect the ant must be a strangely overrated bird during my summers now i have watched him when i ought to have been in better business and i have not yet come across a living ant that seemed to have any more sense than a dead one i refer to the ordinary ant of course i've had no experience of those wonderful swiss and african ones which vote keep drilled armies hold slaves and dispute about religion those particular ants may be all that the naturalist paints them but i am persuaded that the average ant is a sham i admit his industry of course he is the hardest working creature in the world when anybody is looking but his leather-headedness is the point i make against him he goes out foraging he makes a capture and then what does he do go home no he goes anywhere but home he doesn't know where home is his home may be only three feet away no matter he can't find it he makes his capture as i've said it is generally something which can be of no sort of use to himself or anybody else it is usually seven times bigger than it ought to be he hunts out the awkwardest place to take hold of it he lifts it bodily up in the air by main force and starts not toward home but in the opposite direction not calmly and wisely but with a frantic haste which is wasteful of his strength he fetches up against a pebble and instead of going around it he climbs over it backward dragging his booty after him tumbles down on the other side jumps up in a passion kicks the dust off his clothes moistens his hands grabs his property viciously yanks it this way then that shoves it ahead of him a moment turns tail and lugs it after him another moment gets madder and madder then presently hoists it into the air and goes tearing away in an entirely new direction comes to a weed it never occurs to him to go around it no he must climb it and he does climb it dragging his worthless property to the top which is as bright a thing to do as it would be for me to carry a sack of flour from heidelberg to paris by way of strasbourg steeple when he gets up there he finds that that is not the place he takes a cursory glance at the scenery and either climbs down again or tumbles down and starts off once more as usual in a new direction at the end of half an hour he fetches up within six inches of the place he started from and lays his burden down meantime he has been over all the ground for two yards around and climbed all the weeds and pebbles he came across now he wipes the sweat from his brow strokes his limbs and then marches aimlessly off in as violently a hurry as ever he does not remember to have ever seen it before he looks around to see which is not the way home grabs his bundle and starts he goes through the same adventures he had before finally stops to rest and a friend comes along evidently the friend remarks that a last year's grasshopper leg is a very noble acquisition and inquires where he got it evidently the proprietor does not remember exactly where he did get it but thinks he got it around here somewhere evidently the friend contracts to help him freight it home then 
with a judgment peculiarly antic pun not intended they take hold of opposite ends of that grasshopper leg and begin to tug with all their might in opposite directions presently they take a rest and confer together they decide that something is wrong they can't make out what then they go at it again just as before same result mutual recriminations follow evidently each accuses the other of being an obstructionist they lock themselves together and chew each other's jaws for a while then they roll and tumble on the ground till one loses a horn or a leg and has to haul off for repairs they make up and go to work again in the same old insane way but the crippled ant is at a disadvantage tug as he may the other one drags off the booty and him at the end of it instead of giving up he hangs on and gets his shins bruised against every obstruction that comes in the way by and by when the grasshopper leg has been dragged all over the same old ground once more it is finally dumped at about the spot where it originally lay the two perspiring ants inspect it thoughtfully and decide that dried grasshopper legs are a poor sort of property after all and then each starts off in a different direction to see if he can't find an old nail or something else that is heavy enough to afford entertainment and at the same time valueless enough to make an ant want to own it there in the black forest on the mountainside i saw an ant go through with such a performance as this with a dead spider of fully ten times his own weight the spider was not quite dead but too far gone to resist he had a round body the size of a pea the little ant observing that i was noticing turned him on his back sunk his fangs into his throat lifted him into the air and started vigorously off with him stumbling over little pebbles stepping on the spider's legs and tripping himself up dragging him backwards shoving him bodily ahead dragging him up stones six inches high instead of going around them climbing weeds twenty times his own height and jumping from their summits and finally leaving him in the middle of the road to be confiscated by any other fool of an ant that wanted him i measured the ground which this ass traversed and arrived at the conclusion that what he had accomplished inside of twenty minutes would constitute some such job as this relatively speaking for a man to wit to strap two eight hundred pound horses together carry them eighteen hundred feet mainly over not around boulders averaging six feet high and in the course of the journey climb up and jump from the top of one precipice like niagara and three steeples each a hundred and twenty feet high and then put the horses down in an exposed place without anybody to watch them and go off to indulge in some other idiotic miracle for vanity's sake science has recently discovered that the ant does not lay up anything for winter use this will knock him out of literature to some extent he does not work except when people are looking and only then when the observer has a green naturalistic look and seems to be taking notes this amounts to deception and will injure him for the sunday schools he has not judgment enough to know what is good to eat from what isn't this amounts to ignorance and will impair the world's respect for him he cannot stroll around a stump and find his way home again well, this amounts to idiocy and once the damaging fact is established thoughtful people will cease to look up to him the sentimental will cease to fondle him his vaunted industry is but a vanity and of no effect since he never gets home with anything he starts with 
this disposes of the last remnant of his reputation and wholly destroys his main usefulness as a moral agent since it will make the sluggard hesitate to go to him any more it is strange beyond comprehension that so manifest a humbug as the ant has been able to fool so many nations and keep it up so many ages without being found out the ant is strong but we saw another strong thing where we had not suspected the presence of much muscular power before a toadstool that vegetable which springs to full growth in a single night had torn loose and lifted a matted mass of pine needles and dirt of twice its own bulk into the air and supported it there like a column supporting a shed ten thousand toadstools with the right purchase could lift a man i suppose but what good would it do all our afternoon's progress had been uphill about five or half-past we reached the summit and all of a sudden the dense curtain of the forest parted and we looked down into a deep and beautiful gorge and out over a wide panorama of wooded mountains with their summits shining in the sun and their glade furrowed sides dimmed with purple shade the gorge under our feet called allerheiligen afforded room in the grassy level at its head for a cozy and delightful human nest shut away from the world and its botherations and consequently the monks of the old times had not failed to spy it out and here were the brown and comely ruins of their church and convent to prove that priests had as fine an instinct seven hundred years ago in ferreting out the choicest nooks and corners in the land as priests have to-day a big hotel crowds the ruins a little now and drives a brisk trade with summer tourists we descended into the gorge and had a supper which would have been very satisfactory if the trout had not been boiled the germans are pretty sure to boil a trout or anything else if left to their own devices this is an argument of some value in support of the theory that they were the original colonists of the wild islands of the coast of scotland a schooner laden with oranges was wrecked upon one of those islands a few years ago and the gentle savages rendered the captain such willing assistance that he gave them as many oranges as they wanted next day he asked them how they liked them they shook their heads and said baked they were tough and even boiled they weren't things for a hungry man to hanker after we went down the glen after supper it is beautiful a mixture of sylvan loveliness and craggy wildness a limpid torrent goes whistling down the glen and toward the foot of it winds through a narrow cleft between lofty precipices and hurls itself over a succession of falls after one passes the last of these he has a backward glimpse at the falls which is very pleasing they rise in a seven-stepped stairway of foamy and glittering cascades and make a picture which is as charming as it is unusual End of chapter 22